Well, family, we have gathered once again and we turn our attention to the word of God as found in the Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. There we find these words. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 leopards or 10 men who were leopards who stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not found or any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, brothers and sisters, first let me offer my profound thanks to your pastor for this gracious invitation. Uh, there was a time in my ministerial career when I was invited back to a church repeatedly and thinking that the invitation was extended to me because I had done such a fine job, I turned to the pastor of the church to inquire, hoping to hear a few congratulatory words. But he turned to me and said, well, we've not necessarily invited you because you did well, but we thought we'd give you another chance to finally get it right. <laughs> so I am grateful for yet another chance. Here we've gathered on stewardship, or the beginning of your stewardship season, and we offer this word for its reflections and insight on how we might think about giving. And I've uh, grabbed as a title over our time, Not Another Minute. As we enter into this text, we recognize that Luke is orchestrating a broader narrative of the life of Jesus and has positioned this particular narrative as a part of Jesus' journey to his final mission. He's on his way to Calvary. And while he heads to Calvary, the text provides for us uh, the acknowledgement that he's entered into a region that exists between Samaria and Galilee. As with all biblical texts, there are multiple interpretive lenses that one can use when encountering these passages. But I've chose to listen and to look at this in its simplest form. And immediately I note that the Lucan writer has introduced to us this idea of ambiguity. We don't have the name of the place in which Jesus is operating, nor do we get the name of the city or the village that Jesus enters into. And this issue of ambiguity continues even beyond this geographical aspect of the narrative. We're told that Jesus encounters 10 lepers. And no additional identifying details are provided. We're not told whether or not the, the lepers that show up before Jesus are current or for, former members of Baskin Ridge. 
We're not told if they are members of a committee. We're not told the titles that they may have held. And no recollection of their attendance or giving record is provided to us. The only detail that we have is the distinctive nature of the disease that holds their lives captive. We know that they are bound by this issue of leprosy, even though we don't know whether they're young or old, rich or poor. Uh, we're not told until later that one is not, uh, a gen or not a Jew. We're simply told in this text that leprosy is touching all of their lives and has rendered each of the 10 outcasts. Because of the disease, they have been forced to leave what is familiar, family and friends, been isolated from religious life, removed from communal life, and robbed of the normal familial connections that enrich all of our existence. Most importantly, they are trapped in a condition from which they cannot free themselves. They're beyond the help of doctors, and uh, it, the disease has a stranglehold on their lives. Now, it is likely that there are few of us who fully understand the context of wrestling with the disease of leprosy. Uh, many of us have not lived our lives struggling with this particular crippling disease. And it is because of that that at first glance, this text may seem to have little in common with our lives. That maybe this is the moment within the biblical text that we celebrate the outcome, all the while seeing ourselves at some distance from the individuals who are reflected in the text. But I'm going to ask you if you would allow me just a moment uh, to suggest that this text is offering to you and I an invitation to place ourselves at the center of this story. For while we may not have the experience of grappling with leprosy, there are many of us here who understands what it means to be held captive by disease, and not just a physical disease. But when we reflect on our spiritual journey, we are reminded that there was a time in many of our lives when we sat in a relationship with God that was itself deformative, and that we could not extract ourselves out of the conditions that held us captive, that we lived in a way and in a moment of our lives that disrupted all of our relationships, altered how we saw ourselves and the world around us that we lived in a condition that sought to rob us of every good thing in our lives and to leave us hopelessly and helplessly incapacitated. Uh, it is the state of human sinfulness that we all have as a common experience. So it does not surprise us that for many, the idea of leprosy is often used metaphorically for a state of sinfulness. But at least this sermon began to get burdened by uh, this very challenging concept. Let me introduce to you one of the many places of good news that abides within this text. The text tells us that these leopards in their condition from which they could not extract themselves had the encounter with Jesus. That they didn't go looking for Jesus. They didn't know that he was going to be there. They didn't find themselves before Jesus because they were so wise and so insightful. They did not seek out a remedy for their condition. Nonetheless, the God on high allowed them to have this graceful encounter with Jesus. 
because Jesus came to where they were. Jesus met them just as Jesus has met you and I in our wayful, uh, wayward condition. And I know that sometimes when we present ourselves to others, we want to make it seem like we just were smart enough or spiritual enough or righteous enough that we found Jesus. But isn't the truth that Jesus found us even when we weren't looking for Jesus? He came our way and laid his hands on us and rescued us. That's why for some in the church, we sing the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard our despairing cry, and from the waters lifted us, now safe are we. We, like the lepers, can see the commonality of our lives. Just like them, we were trapped, but we had an encounter with Jesus that forever changed our trajectory. And it is because of this commonality that it is not uncommon for us to get swept up in the miraculous moment of this text, to allow our eyes and our mental energy to be drawn to the divine gravitational pull of the story's moment of deliverance that we quickly celebrate that the lepers began to walk at the command of Jesus, and as they went, they were healed. Not by any work of their own, not by any issue of merit, but simply by the grace of God. God's grace manifests itself by making them whole. But before we go to that moment of celebration, I'm going to ask you to pause for just a moment and let us consider the conclusion of the narrative. For I think it is particularly meaningful, and it may help some of you who may be confused by the selection of this text as a part of stewardship season. The reality is, is when we look at the full story, what we recognize is that we're introduced to one who returns to Jesus to offer thanks. And from this simple moment, let us make a couple of quick observations, and then I'll take my seat that I think will inform any concept of stewardship. First, let us recognize that the individual that we see, this leper that is presented to us, does not allow even the command of Jesus to disrupt his action. I mean, he's been told to go and present himself to the priest, and yet, he seems to ignore that command uh, in light of a more pressing and urgent feeling in his spirit. It's almost as though the leopard is standing there and say, I know, Jesus, that you told me to go and see the priest, and I'm not suggesting that he might not ultimately make himself or make it his way to the temple. But in that moment, what he seems to be communicating to us is that the encounter with Jesus produces within us a sense of gratitude that will not allow us to make another step forward until we express that gratitude back to God. To not take another minute to do anything else before we simply say, thank you, Jesus. Because what God has done for this leper and what God has done for you and I is too great for us to be distracted by the moments of ritual and custom and instead to turn our attention to giving God God's thanks. Additionally, not only does the man not allow the command to disrupt his expression of gratitude, he doesn't allow the other lepers to distract him from this expression. 
He's not waiting for the other 10 to turn around and to join him in the pursuit. He does not wait for one of them to make the suggestion, let's go back to Jesus and thanks Jesus. Instead, he turns around even in his isolated condition and says, I am unconcerned with whether the others go. I'm going to go back and express my gratitude for what God has done for me. Finally, he does not allow, allow custom and culture to get in the way. We're reminded at the end of the narrative that he is a Samaritan. We are well accustomed to the history of conflict in the history between the Jews and the Samaritan. We know that he enters into this moment with many past disputes probably in his mind and places where the Jews and the Samaritans do not fellowship and communion or enter into communion with one another. And yet, in spite of the cultural weight, in spite of the history of dis disagreements, this leper chooses to go back and will not allow those issues to get in his way. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, as we look at the actions of the leper, are there any among us who would make a similar claim or expression of gratitude? Are there any here who might say to themselves, listen, God has simply been too good to me. Uh, pull me out of the muck and mire, as my grandmother would say, and set our feet on solid, our feet on solid ground. And because of what God has done for us, I will simply take this moment right where I am to give God thanks. And my expression of thanks won't even be constrained by command. I know that the ideal is that my gratitude ought to be expressed in my giving back. And maybe I take uh, as my standard the 10% that is so often uh, connected with my ties. But you know what? God has been too good to me to just give 10%. But I will give until my giving reflects my gratitude. And I don't care what the customs are when I consider what God has done. I want to make sure that I respond in a similar fashion. I won't even allow what I have or have not done in the past to cause me to alter my expression of thanks in this moment. Again, because God has shown God's grace to us, God's love and God's mercy in an extravagant way, let me let my expression of thanks also be done extravagantly. I wonder if there's any here who might say to themselves, and I also am going to borrow the lesson from the leper, and I'm not going to worry about what the crowd does. I'm not going to wait to see who's going to give and who's not going to give. I'm not going to let those around me determine what my own expression of gratitude will be. But I am going to do what God has called me to do because God has blessed me and blessed the crowd. And if the crowd hasn't gotten it right yet, so be it. But I'm going to make sure I take this moment to express the fullness of my appreciation for God. I'm not going to wait to see what others are going to do. I'm not going to fall into the crowd. I'm not going to wait to see whose names are recognized. And then I'm going to give. I'm going to give because I am keenly aware of the uniqueness of God's movement in my life. And I'm not going to take another moment. I'm not going to wait another second. I'm going to give now because I recognize this may be the opportunity that will not come again. I've got to act and I've got to act now to say thank you, Lord, 
for what you've done for me. Finally, and this may not be true at Baskin Ridge, but there, it is true in some of the churches that I've been, uh, that there are those who will allow the conundrums of congregational life to impact their stewardship, uh, to think that their stewardship is a reflection or a referendum on pastoral or, or leadership, lay leadership in the church and that I will give when I'm in agreement with everything that goes on. I know, again, the good Christian folk at Baskin Ridge don't operate that way, but there are some in our community who might. And I've decided that I'm not going to allow my disagreements to get it in the way of my expression of gratitude. And don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with us holding one another in mutual accountability, nothing wrong that we have robust discussions of how God is moving and leading in our midst. But let me never forget that my giving is not a reflection of my agreement always, but it is a reflection of my gratitude toward God, which never diminishes even through the vicissitude of congregational life. Uh, I'm not going to not give because I recognize the question is not why should I give, but how could I not give in light of God's goodness in your life? The leper provides us some interesting lenses through which to examine why one gives. He uh, provides us a way of understanding how to not let common obstacles frustrate or interrupt our expressions of gratitude. But I can hear a few of you sitting in the pews thinking to yourself, but wait a minute, what actually does the leopard actually give? He doesn't seem to come to this moment with anything. Is this really a moment that we can use to shed light on our own reflections of giving? Oh, you all are on fire this morning. These are the right questions to be asking of this text. What is it that the leper actually gives, if this is to be a reflection on giving? We are introduced to the leper who is begging for help, likely an outcast from society. Surely he has nothing to give, but rather relies on the community to provide him the most meager support through the course of his day. But it is because he is an unlikely image for giving that makes him a more powerful example to us. For he teaches us that we're only expected to give from what we have, but we're expected to give what we have. The stewardship is not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And the leopard gives of his only possession, his time and his thanks, turns around and spends the time necessary to get back to Jesus and once in Jesus' pre uh, presence, offers up the gift that he has and that is his gratitude. And so the same becomes true for you and I. What do we have to give? Whatever God has given us. Where do we pull from? Our time, our talent, and our treasure, and if we don't have one, we can give of the other. But let us take all of what God has given us and offer it back to God in thanksgiving, recognizing we did not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. God helped us get this far. We didn't make this life on our own, but divine providence has met us many times on the journey, and that there are those who are easily and equally talented but life did not necessarily provide them the same opportunities that God has showered on our lives. So God, I will give my all. Why? 
Because how else can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved that you did to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express our gratitude. All that we have and all that we hope to be, we owe it, God, to thee. To God be the glory for all the things that God has done. And let us not wait another moment to express our gratitude unto God. This is the word of God for you and I, the people of God. Thanks be to God.